so everyone, we're going to be doing summer survival on the topic of syncope. Um, we're going to first start off with a case presentation by Rajiv, um, followed by a discussion by David Bowers, one of our PGY3s. So for those tuning in online to the recording uh, um, and also the live recording of this, we're going to be going through an actual case here um, on our whiteboard. So you'll hear some kind of talking throughout this, but you might not see all the information until it's available on the slides. Um, so please bear with us in that regard, but we'll we'll go ahead and get started. So um, Rajiv, you can let us know about your patient and the chief complaint. So we, here we have a 56 year old male with past medical history of X-ray disease. On uh, hemodialysis, he recently had a diagnosis of metastatic renal carcinoma and he's on immunotherapy. He presented to us with syncope. Uh, now, uh, a little bit on the HPI. So, so let's just pause here. All right. So, the way these cases are going to work for internet reports going on in the future is we're going to kind of pause at each section and we're going to dissect the case together. So, this is a patient who's showing up to the emergency department and you're sent down to go and meet this patient. This is the history that you get as the one liner. Right. What, what questions are you going to be asking that patient? What else from the HPI do you want to know about? Okay, so you want to know how long they've been on immunotherapy for? Why? I'm going to ask that a lot. I'm going to ask the why a lot because that's the important thing. We're trying to figure out you know, what our mode of thinking should be for working up the patient. And, um, you know, each time you go down and try and develop your framework, because ultimately you're taking that chief complaint. And you're trying to come up with a differential diagnosis to figure out what kind of testing you need to do, if any, to rule and rule out those diagnoses and treat the patient. Right. And so that starts with your questioning in your history and your physical. So you want to know how long you've been on immunotherapy for? We don't have the exact duration, but it's been a few months. Uh, he's on it since September 2020. Yeah. Um, has this ever happened to him before? Okay, has he ever had a previous episode of passing out? Yeah. All right, and that's important because you, you might have the diagnosis right then and there. Like, oh, yeah, this happens to me all the time because of this, this, and that. Yeah. No. Okay. So, yeah, no history of this happening before. Mm -hmm. And then also, off of that, what was he doing when he had the syncopal episode? Right. On the HPI. Yeah. Well, so what was he doing when he had the syncopal episode? Uh, he, he was on the toilet and he got off from the toilet. Right. Okay. So it was kind of he got him from a sitting position to a standing position, and he felt dizzy, lightheaded, and then passed out. Okay. Proceeding, proceeding all of this, you know, how was the patient doing? You know, was he experiencing anything before this? I mean, he experienced some nausea and. Uh, some belly pain for which he went to the bathroom to relieve himself. He couldn't. That's when he got out to get out of the bathroom. That's when. So how long was he experiencing that for? Uh, I mean, he was he was okay before that. So. Yeah, so it was a sudden. Yeah, was a sudden. He was okay before. Sudden onset, otherwise in a normal state of health. So sudden onset of this stomach like pain discomfort with nausea tried to have a bowel movement couldn't then got up from the toilet and then felt lightheaded right so we've got um abdominal pain um and we have nausea but otherwise in normal state of health what other questions would you have? Asked by this guy, right? He's unsafe for all this use. On dialysis, what would be the question of potentially asked? So, yeah, so that would be important kind of later on. This is, this is more so addressing a chief complaint, right? So, getting like the actual history of the, the HPI portion of it. All right, good. So, how long? And then, and then. So for him, it was so it was an so it was an unseen cause, known cause. So it was an unknown cause. Mm -hmm. And then similar to that, 
What else would you want to know after the fall? They remember. Okay, good. So what's the importance of that? Okay, and and so what would you expect for one versus the other? Uh, well, I mean, seizure, you expect like more post natal states, so it's a confusion issue, not knowing what happened. Good, good. Um, so, yeah, looking for post natal state, um, or did they come to and remember exactly what happened? Um, so, with this guy, well, what happened? Yeah, he couldn't remember the fall. He just had a yeah, he couldn't remember the fall, but he didn't seem to be confused afterwards. He was, you know, knew where he was, he knew who he was, but wasn't able to, like, Identify what happened with the fall. So, no post control, but does not remember the fall. Okay. What are those things? Today. He hit his head. He hit his head. It's a great question. Why does that matter? It's going to triage what you do with this patient, right? Not only do you have to worry about something like a bleed, but also if he's done with a fall, they may hit their head. You need to, you know, see if there's anything wrong with the group system. So, very important question in setting up any fall, you know, whether it's wedding ground awareness, um, if there's any uh, head trauma. So, was there any head trauma? Yeah, he, he likely hit his head against the bathroom door. So that won't really explain why he fell, but it's definitely something that you should ask, you know, for to solve the fall itself. This is a patient in the ED. Would you be this quiet? Did he have any? Go ahead. Did he have any kind of aura before the transfusion? All right, so aura or like like prodromal or preceding senses. Great question. Why is that important? Very good. All right. So which one would of those that you mentioned, you know, cardiac, dyslexia, vagal, which one would have preceded? It's a vagal, right? You know, what kind of symptoms would we expect? Yeah, like flushing, like headedness, nausea, whatever it might be. So did he have any kind of preceding symptoms? Yeah, he was lightheaded. Yeah, he felt lightheaded, right? So, um, and then he also had this episode of this heaviness in the stomach with nausea and went to the toilet, but couldn't, you know, have a bowel movement. So there's definitely some sort of preceding symptoms. What's another like important preceding symptom? What's that? No, no, I, you said symptom. I was thinking about the point where the last time you would say something. Oh yeah, good. What in got your thinking? Uh, I'm not really sure, but he hasn't been eating a whole lot over the past couple of days, but I'm, I'm sure he ate before this. But good question. Other preceding symptoms that might worry you about? So thinking about the, the cardiogenic causes. So did he have any of those? Uh, yes, he had the chest pain. Okay. And then. You know what David was saying about this patient being end stage renal disease, being on dialysis. What other question would there be that's important other than medications? Yes. So why? So it's. A huge shift of volumes, right? And a lot of times you'd be taking volume off, you know, if you're if you're not running them either. So for us to know that, you know, like did the patient have dialysis that day? Or when was their last dialysis? You know, have they not had dialysis in three weeks and now their potassium's like peaks and they had a run of an arrhythmia, right? So asking when that last dialysis session was would be important. So he's on his regular dialysis session, no missed sessions. Anything else that you want to ask in this history? Okay. 
Anything else on review systems other than this? Did we miss anything? I mean, the chest pain. Yeah, it's a characteristics of the chest pain. Yeah, so exactly. So the, with the chest pain, I mean, that can range from not so severe to very severe. It can have other distinguishing features to it that are associated with it. You know, so does it radiate? Is it associated with any shortness of breath? Theoretic in nature, with the positional. Radiating back. Yeah, it, it did not radiate. Okay. There's a lot of external pain. It's like adult pain. Yeah, adult pain. Yeah, it did not radiate. Otherwise, the RLS is negative. Right? Because what you're doing is you're framing your questions to go through that. So when you think, you know, chief complaint, whether it's shortness of breath, immediately before you go into that room, you're thinking of your differential with shortness of breath and dyspnea. And go in with a line of questions trying to help narrow down your diagnosis. Same thing with syncope here. All right. So some people say syncope is a symptom, and some people call it like a is a diagnosis on its own. But more so, it's a symptom of something else going on. So again, you're going off the chief complaint, and you're asking these questions to try and narrow down your differential. Okay. So uh, other stuff, right? So past medical history. All that other stuff we'll get into now. So let's just bring that up. Oh. As you can see, the past medical history of anterior depression, ulcerative colitis, fatty liver, chronic thrombocytopenia, hypoparathyroidism, hypertension, and he got his kidney transplant eight years ago. And now we have the primary adenine carcinoma of the kidney. For his uh, surgical history, he had a bronchoscopy for a perihilar mass sometime in 2020. And family history is not relevant. And he's a non smoker, no alcohol use, no recreational drug use. And the other portion of this, too, is medications, right? So we have, you want to read off the meds, and I'll try and find, I want to write them down. It's too many. I mean, I, this person is on a lot of meds. First one is allopurinol, amlodipine, dexamethasil, escitalopram, everlimus, hydrocodone acetaminophen, ipratropium, lenvatinib, mescelamine, metoprolotafrate, mycophenolate, oxazepam, pantoprazole, prednisone, bactrim, twice a week, tamsulosin, and trazodone. So quite a bit of meds, right? All right. Now, why are the meds important? Because they can also play into chief complaint, right? So of the long list of meds, we recognize any that you might be thinking about that could be. You want me to repeat the list? No, it's okay. <laughs> we, don't, we don't have enough time. Cancelosis. <laughs> okay, good. So what is cancelosis? So the notorious side effect of. There's also some other medications there that can affect blood pressure, right? And lotopine and the propylol that was in there. Mm -hmm. What other meds were in there? So there's oxazepam, there was norco, which is hydrocortone and hydrocortone and acetaminophen, yeah. right? So if you're on intrazodone, if you're on multiple sedating medications, could that, you know, cause, you know, like polypharmacy and, you know, maybe you're drowsy and tripping as well? No, it wasn't actually true syncope. So that's why getting a good med reconciliation is extremely important. All right, and get it from the patient. You know, call family, call the pharmacy, um, but just make sure just at that initial encounter, you're really doing your best to get the most recent medications, right? Because you're always trying to get back to here. I think that's so important to say as well, but especially with patients who are undergoing transplant, you know, immunosuppressants, right? You want to. If they're being covered with like fungals or anything, antifungals as well, you want to think about things that can change your heart rhythm. We'll kind of get into absolutely, absolutely. All right. So after we get the history, we're going to go do a physical exam. So what are the kinds of things that you'll be looking for in a physical exam? Just off the top of your head, especially in this case. I mean, okay. All right. I'm thinking of. What to be exact? Um, 
Pardon? Like, uh, the Yeah, yeah. Okay, what's what's like one that would like, you know, could definitely participate? Erythrocnosis, right? You know, so think are more elderly individuals, you know, calcify the arch valves, or if they're young, they have a concussion. Absolutely. So you deal with that. What else I think so? Perfect. So yeah, your vitals, right? Um, so we have the vital signs here, and then you mentioned another important thing: orthostatic vitals. Um, you know, so uh, make sure that if you're seeing syncope, so EKG and orthostatic vitals are the only tests that are recommended for every case of syncope. But everything else is dependent on your other tests. But a baseline orthostatic vitals, EKG, those are your standard tests. So just make sure that you're doing orthostatic vitals whenever you're seeing a patient with this. Okay, so make sure you're getting blood pressure right down. Sit them up five minutes, then check it again. Sitting up, standing up five minutes, then check the blood pressure again. You check it like within thirty seconds. It's it's not realistic, all right. So you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of more orthostatic hypertension than what's truly there. Uh, good. So let's um, and anything else on exam? Okay. All right. So so elaborate on that. What would you be looking for in particular? Syncope. Um, any weakness, and maybe it was a stroke. Yeah, so maybe a stroke, right? Um, so you know, syncope is like a transient loss of consciousness. What type of stroke do you generally see that with? Yeah. So it's more seen. So yes, so more so what vascular territory would you be concerned about? Would it be an anterior stroke or a posterior stroke? So posterior stroke. So yeah. So basically, if you're if you're cutting up blood supply to the basilar artery, um, you're losing the uh, what's it called thing in the starts with an R. Thank you. <laughs> That's what you're cutting off your blood supply to, and that would cause a transient loss of consciousness. Well done. Good teamwork on that one. All right. So let's go ahead to the physical exam and let's see what was going. All right. Is vitals are fairly stable. Uh, Except for the blood pressure that we see. Or the systolic varied between 111 and 89. I think that's for standing and sit, lying down and standing, and the diastolic was between 77 and 74, lying down and. So, so those are just the ranges. Yes, the ranges. Those, those are the ranges. They unfortunately did not do the diet vitals. Yeah, he, he was standing at 94 at Uber. Um, his head was atraumatic, normal cephalic, so the swollen maybe didn't. Trauma to his head, his pupils were equal down reactive light. His neck showed a positive JVD, like there was jugular venous distension. Um, his heart sounds, they were regular rate and rhythm, they were distant, there were no murmurs, gallops, or rubs heard. Uh, lung and abdominal exam uh, were unremarkable, no lymphadenopathy, and skin, skin was so unremarkable. Uh, neurologically, he's alert and oriented times three. And there were no cranial nerve deficits. So now that we have the pieces of information, you know, including the history and the physical, now at this point we'll pause and we'll kind of think of what our differential is. Because what comes next? Ordering things, right? And we always have to order things with a purpose, um, with the thought that we're going to be using these labs to rule in and rule out certain things. So why don't we come up with a differential that we're going to try and track down? Regular Pardon? Okay. Arrhythmia. Okay, so there's some sort of arrhythmia. <laughs> There's <laughs> some sort of arrhythmia, right? And it's usually going to be either a tachyarrhythmia or a brachyarrhythmia, right? Um, and so it'll be something like EPDF. You know, EPDF generally won't cause syncope. They usually supply enough cardiac output that they wouldn't pass out. So that's very rare. SVT possibly, um, if it's going fast enough. And then, you know, something like a complete heart block. Okay. What else? Medication induced. All right. So, next. So, now, when you say medication induced, so like, you know, like a polypharmacy sort of thing. 
So this could maybe be from the sedation of those other meds that we talked about, the benzo plus the Marco, right? But what else do you mean by medication induced? So orthostatic hypertension, okay. What else? So you mentioned stroke, right? You know, looking for a mineral exam. Oh, yeah, possibly if it's like posterior circulation stroke. Yeah. And this is an unwitnessed fall. We don't know what happened to the patient. You know, what's another look of like this is the Seizure, right? We we weren't there. We no one was there to see you when you got in convulsive episodes. Maybe he was found an hour later after he's recovered from this postnatal state. You know, um, so that should remain on the differential. Maybe a little bit lower down given the history that we should have brought. Along with that as well, like this uh, look alike, so like intoxication. This is stay. Yeah. This is stay. Okay, so that would then so so electrolyte imbalances, which could then produce what? Yeah, so that could go up to here, and again that goes along with history of this ESRD analysis and that. What are some other dangerous etiologies of somebody? Okay, so acute CHF, so meaning what's like the most likely perception of an acute CHF? MI, right? Okay. If you had a big MI that causes your pump to go down so that you were no longer perfusing your brain, absolutely, that can cause the one to go down. Usually that would be more like a cardiac arrest sort of scenario, absolutely. So that's that's important to understand. Okay. So yeah, tamponade again, kind of along the same lines of the cardiac etiology, where it's sort of effect it's a it's affecting the pump, but it's more so of like an obstructive etiology of this obstructive shock rather than a cardiogenic shock. Along the same lines, what's another example of obstructive shock? E is another big one, right? So they did a bunch of studies that retrospectively looked at people who came in with syncope and found that people did have PE and then vice versa, and then people with PE. So um, that's absolutely important as well. And these are the ones that can put you into big trouble. All right. I mean, that's a pretty solid differential that we've come up with so far. You know, there's other things too, like situational. Which is uh, one of the one of the other kind of examples of something similar to vagal vagal, you know, like there's micturation, uh, syncope, and a bunch of stuff like that. So, I'd say that's a pretty solid differential. So, what do you want to order? I don't want to work this page out. EKG. All right. I think that's a great sense. You know what? I think it's so great. Let's just <laughs> have you. Fifty-six. Does anyone want to take a shot at the EKG? I mean, just the basics, right? Where the passes? Any one volunteer? Just have a second, somebody. Oh, my friend, Alberto, that's you. So, I'm very glad. I think it's on sinus rhythm. Okay. Yeah. But there's a here. Um, so so we kind of take it through step by step. So you first you start with your rate, your rhythm, and your axis. All right. So rate. rate. So the way you can do it is you can do the, the box trick or you can count them up, multiply it by six if it's a 10 second strip. You know, so this 
And basically, all we're trying to find out is it slow, is it normal, or is it fast? So, so this would be. Is, uh, don't say normal. What's that? Four boxes is. Uh, yeah, so this would then be, so if it was here, it'd be 300, 150, 190. So this is somewhere in between 90 and 100, right? So, so it's so normal, normal rate. Right. Rhythm, is it regular? Is it irregular? It's regular. Regular, right? And then, you know, is it coming from the sinus node? The way we find that out is we take a look at the P waves and see what the P wave axis is that of uh, uh, impulse coming from the sinus node. So up right here, up right here. It should be down going here, which we can kind of see a little bit by phasic over uh, in V1, which is cut off. Oh, wait, what's going on? We're missing leads. Anyway. Yeah, okay. So down, down, and then AVR should be negative. Um, so here it looks like it is sinus. Okay. So we've got sinus rhythm. It seems to be regular. Yeah, so it's like uh, normal rhythm. Uh, Regular and um, sinus rhythm. Yeah. Um, and then the axis, I mean, we don't have V1, but let's just assume it's a normal axis. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. Awesome. That's perfect. Thank you. Okay. Anyone else notice anything else on the PC? Cool. Where do you see that? Okay, so a little bit here, what you're saying, like V5, V6, even even here maybe, All right? So we're looking for, you know, two millimeter elevation over in the precordial lead, and then in the limb lead, it's about one uh, one millimeter. So maybe even a little bit on two as well, and maybe ABF. Any other findings? Really, really subtle. On lead two, so there's no no flutter on on lead two here. Gotcha. Here. No, no, no. Oh, on the rhythm strip. Yeah. yeah. If you if you go to the right. Yeah. So it's so this is this is a normal sinus rhythm. That's your T wave. There's no there's no flutter waves there. But also just very very subtly, there's a little bit of PR depressions here. Right when you're comparing it to the baseline of before the P wave, there's very very subtle PR depression. Really interesting. It's not totally normal. Very close to normal. Right. What other tests do you want? Electro. Okay. Very good. So let's go back a slide. And why do you want the electro? You want to look for the abnormalities that can lead to arrhythmia. Good. Before I go to the other slide, any other tests that you want? Chris X ray? All right, well, sure. Then let's go to that first. What do you think? The right CPM was Yeah. Yeah. It looked kind of blended. Yeah. Made a bit of a quarrel with Dijon on that side. And of course, we need to compare it to like a previous one. But yeah, so when you think of a wide and medium sinus, you know, notoriously think of. That's a big box car look, right? Yeah. Or, um, yeah, so. Yeah, error dissection is the one that's going to be more common. I, I don't know. I don't know the epidemiology of anthrax. All right, good. And you wanted some baseline labs as well. Okay. Any other testing that you want to? You're worried about fentanyl, right? You can definitely order an echo. Maybe troponin. Troponin? Okay. And what, what's the troponin for? MI. So looking for MI. So 
you know, we didn't see any, you know, we did see some kind of diffuse XP abnormality, but I think that getting a troponin would actually really be visual because if you think that's diffuse XP abnormality, if you're thinking along the lines of, you know, right? But if you have elevated troponin, you might be along the lines of myocarditis, which can come with the risk of having things like a red meal leading to right? So I think that's absolutely really reasonable. Troponin was normal for the first two and then slightly elevated. At 0 0.09. So nothing much to write home about. All right, any one of the numbers. You don't get an answer just yet. <laughs> okay. So does anything move on your differential for this patient? Yeah, an EKG with maybe like signs of monoperitis, uh, big wide and mediastinum on there. It was like it was like a normal day. Anything move up after this test? Nothing really screams a diagnosis here, right? And so that's what happened with this patient. Nothing initially screamed the diagnosis. And so there was concern that maybe the patient did have orthostatic hypotension because he wasn't eating for a while. They gave him some fluids. But then what happened in the morning after after that? So he got some so he got some fluids and then at 7 a.m. the next morning. Oh yeah, he got up to get syncopized again. Yeah, now they're again. This time with Blood pressures into the systolic of 70. So that's when they got their bedside echo. And they saw a very, very large pericardial occlusion. This is not, this is a sample picture. So unfortunately, with the bedside, we don't get the images mm -hmm. with tamponade physiology. So if you want to just sum up his hospital course with the immediate course. Yeah, so the hospital course is well, we pay him to attempt. I mean, do you want the whole? No, no, it's just just this essentially. Okay. So, yeah, so when he attempted to stand, he syncopized again, and he was found to be hypertensive, not responding to the fluid, so they gave him telephone, and then he descended to the ICU, and then they did a telephone of the ICU. Pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. All right. They removed uh, and they sent him to break out of something. They got like 850 CT of bloody fluid. Most likely because he had the RCT. But after that, the, the pocket reaccumulated a little bit and ended up going for a pericardial window, uh, but then ended up doing very well. Uh, you know, so this is, this is one of the more kind of rare scenarios with syncope that you'll see. Um, it's usually not as you know, tricky as a diagnosis as this, but. Um, awesome. So, we'll get into the discussion portion. Okay, guys, you guys are pretty good. You touched on all of this for the most part. So, syncope is essentially defined as a transient loss of consciousness. It's uh, most often secondary to, again, a transient drop in your systemic blood pressures. Uh, usually, syncope is rapid in onset, short in duration. So, uh, you know, one or two minutes. Uh, and it's quickly resolving, meaning uh, we don't usually have those post-nictal that confusion state, right? You usually wake up and you're, you're uh, in pretty good shape. Uh, in regards to uh, the time, I just want to touch on that a, a little bit more. Uh, so uh, if you have somebody who's uh, syncopizing early on in their life over an extended period of time, uh, that's more reassuring, right? That's more likely to be a benign etiology, unless, of course, you know that there's a, a potential for structural heart disease. Uh, also, multiple episodes over a short period of time that that should be more concerning to you. That should tell you, you know, start looking at the heart, maybe uh, cardiac and uh, etiology. Uh, same thing with like uh, conversely, if you have many episodes in a day, obviously keep cardiac higher on your differential, but you also want to start thinking about those lookalikes, those non. Uh, you know, those non syncopal episodes, psychogenic, uh, uh, you want, want to make sure you uh, rule those out. So, uh, 
as we mentioned, we kind of went through the four main ideologies already, so I'll just touch on those briefly. Uh, we have neurally mediated, which is basovagal, uh, orthostatic, so think like hypovolemia, uh, cardiac with all your arrhythmias, and then you'll, you'll have your structural cardiopulmonary disease. Again. So, with your evaluation, uh, thorough histories, uh, either from the patient or the bystander, whoever witnessed uh, the loss of consciousness, uh, vitals, uh, obviously we talked about orthostatics, EKG is important uh, with every every patient. Get in the habit when you have a patient who sympathizes and you evaluate them in the ED or on the floor, always get that EKG. You look at that EKG first, that will tell you if there's something uh, severe going on, and we'll kind of talk about uh, some potential cardiac arrhythmias to, to uh, look out for. Again, uh, again, major things you want to consider: uh, Did the patient truly have a total loss of consciousness? Right. Uh, that's kind of what uh, Brian brought up uh, when we were going through our history. This was unwitnessed by this patient. So, do we really know uh, whether they sympathized or not? Really, it's important to try to determine to our best of our ability if, if that patient truly sympathized, if they truly lost uh, consciousness. Uh, along with that, is that a total loss of consciousness? Is that a syncopal episode or a non-syncopal episode? So I'll kind of uh, revisit it here shortly, but again, non-syncopal episodes, uh, you'd have seizures, uh, sleep disorders, right? So narcolepsy, cataplexy, uh, TBI, we talk about intoxication, uh, and as well, just continue to remember psychogenic, a lot more rare, but you want to keep your differential broad, correct? Uh, with the syncope, is there a definitive etiology? This guy, I would have told you if I hadn't looked at the case prior to this, I would have said it looked like it was, uh, you know, uh, either you know, basovagal or orthostatic, perhaps a component of both, uh, right? But but obviously, uh, when we started to rule things out, the following morning, uh, other other etiologies kind of uh, ramped up on our differential. So uh, if there's a definitive etiology, that's important, right? If you know for sure it's not cardiac related, uh, unlike this guy. But if it was a guy who came in, you know, 92 years old and he's uh, hasn't been eating well, and he's got slammed up orthostatics, and you give him food, and he responds, and that's a guy who uh, you feel a little bit better about, you know, uh, you know, evaluating for a day or so versus this guy who obviously had ended up having a prolonged hospital course. Uh, and then again, is there any concerns for high-risk cardiac uh, events or death? And I'll kind of tell you uh, the, the main things: the, the red flags that should be going off in your head if you hear. Um, I put like the plus-minus echo there. Uh, obviously, if you guys are uh, you're working with the Camarillo on the floor, you're, or you have a personal interest in ultrasound, the bedside ultrasound is always uh, pretty helpful. Obviously, uh, you'll learn across the three hospitals that echoes, even stat echoes, get done at different varying uh, times. So I wouldn't rely on it heavily uh, in your initial evaluation, but something to consider if you if you haven't been interested in that. Uh, so again, we kind of just talked about these. Um, I don't know how accurate these uh, percentages are anymore, but I imagine that they're, they're pretty close. Uh, the neurally mediated, uh, the basovagal, that's kind of around two thirds. Uh, obviously, the orthostatic and cardiac are kind of right there around 10%, but things that you, uh, you, you just want to keep on your differential, you don't want to miss. So kind of neurally mediated, we talked about the prodrome, uh, nausea, diaphoresis, you'll have that tunnel vision, that kind of uh, blacked out peripheral vision, maybe changes in temperature sense. Some people get very, very hot, others get very, very cold. Uh, you can also sometimes see a change in skin paler, right? So if you see somebody when they sit up, they get really, really pale. Uh, and your uh, lighter skin tone patients certainly uh, could start to think about that. Uh, usually occurs when the patient's standing, meaning going from like a sitting position to a standing, but can also be from uh, lying down to a sitting position. I had a guy with a perineoplastic syndrome that ended up every time he sat up, he actually passed out because his blood pressure would drop like 40s, 50s systolically. Um, the situational, again, we kind of, uh, we brought up some of those and you can see some of those there. Uh, in the hospital, I think you'll see like a lot of like uh, defecation mediated mixturition. Uh, usually, I don't see as many of the cough and uh, the swallowing uh, uh, vasovagals, but you'll, you'll ever, every once in a while see somebody who aspirates, right, and they'll kind of hold their breath and, and vasovagal that way as well. Um, again, we kind of talked about, uh, I'm, I'm not going to bore you guys with all the pathophys, 
of uh, all of this uh, here. Uh, usually, you know, you'll get some venous pooling from uh, prolonged standing or sitting. You also, you can also have some central stimuli or visceral stimuli. Brian kind of brought up the central stimuli. Uh, usually, you know, it's like a, an intense emotional or fear response, right? And you kind of get that uh, reduced sympathetic tone that causes vasodilation. Uh, I think the apparent response is uh, important to remember. You'll continue to get tested on ridiculous questions throughout the, uh, your board exams. Sympathetic tone reduces your heart rate combined with that uh, inhibit to, uh, inhibited sympathetic response that causes vasodilation. Again, like we talked about, right, uh, syncope is essentially a transient drop in, uh, you know, your systemic pressures with a decreased cerebral perfusion. Again, orthostatic hypotension, uh, just for definition, is a sustained drop in your systolics of at least 20 from either the supine sitting, sitting to standing, uh, supine to standing position. Uh, a lot of people don't, the diastolic pressures too, if it's a sustained drop of 10 over a period of two or three minutes, it can also meet criteria, but the systolics you'll typically see in your patients drop uh, for positive orthostatics, obviously. Um, the most common causes uh, that you'll see are probably either hypovolemia, so people with poor PO intake, people dehydrated, people who are septic and, uh, you know, older, typically your older patients, they can become hypovolemic just from poor PO intake alone. Uh, and then medication-induced. Uh, so like any of your diuretics, uh, again, uh, your hypo-hyperkalemia from those diuretics, right, causing arrhythmias. Uh, and again, like I brought up, you want to think about uh, patients on antifungals or macrolides, quinolones, all those things can uh, uh, cause you to eventually go into, you know, something like torsades or a fatal arrhythmia that can cause some syncope. Uh, uncommon causes, but still things that you want to uh, think about. Uh, so like primary autonomic diseases, such as Parkinson's as well as MS. Uh, and then you'll have your like secondary autonomic diseases, so pretty much like your diabetes, I would remember, a lot of your connective tissue disorders, uh, and then obviously somebody with like a spinal cord injury in the past, uh, that they often have uh, trouble with uh, their blood pressures, uh, regulating their blood pressures more prone to syncope disease. Uh, so for cardiogenic, I think this is like the most important one, obviously, because it's the one that you don't want to miss if someone comes in the hospital. Uh, uh, no one, you're, you're going to feel pretty lousy if you send somebody home and you miss a cardi uh, cardiac etiology of uh, syncope. Uh, for for these syncopal episodes, remember, you know, men greater than uh, women, uh, higher occurrence of men, obviously, than women uh, greater than 60 uh, years old, usually have a low number of uh, syncopal episodes. Uh, in the beginning, we brought up like the program of palpitations, uh, but the thing that you want to remember is loss of consciousness without warning. Uh, that's a, that's a big uh, red flag as well as sympathy while supine. Okay, somebody syncopizes when they're when they're laying down. That should automatically be telling you that something's probably going on with the heart. Same thing with exertion, right? And I'm not talking about like somebody who's running a marathon, right? If this, if this guy is carrying out groceries out, out up the stairs or something and syncopizes, those are things that you want to uh, you you want to think of. You know, heart. Uh, as well as family history of sudden cardiac death, right? We have all had question stems where, you know, someone's uncle died at 30 years old or something, and now they had a, a syncopal episode at 25 or something. Uh, you obviously want to uh, think about some of your structural heart diseases uh, at that time. Uh, and again, obviously, things that would increase your likelihood of, uh, you know, saying, hey, this is maybe related to the heart is if this patient has unknown history of arrhythmias, right? Uh, do they have a pacemaker in place because they've had uh, uh, some, uh, you know, some some bad arrhythmias in the past? Do they have uh, heart failure with reduced ejection traction? So anything that can decrease output, right? Anything that can cause a decreased uh, systemic perfusion. And and these are the people who are coming in the ED with the black and blues all over their face. You know, like if someone's vasovagal, you know, they feel the flushing, they can kind of start to bring themselves down to the ground, and then they pass out. These people are like from standing to like on the ground like that. So. That's when they just lose all their tone and go like face first. So, uh, again, these are just some of the types of cardiogenic. I think it's always nice to uh, list them out. Obviously, the structural cardiopulmonary. We talked about uh, aortic and mitral valve as well as pulmonary stenosis. All three of those stenosis of those valves can uh, predispose you to syncopal episodes. Uh, myxoma you're not going to see uh, as often. We talked about dissections, MIs, tamponade, uh, pericardial effusions, right? Uh, as well as PEs, uh, and then your arrhythmias, kind of your tachyarrhythmias, bradyarrhythmias, uh, as well as your AV blockades. So I think on your EKGs, if you see like a bradycardia with like a sustained rate less than 40, 
right? You see like a Mobitz type two or like a complete heart block. Uh, you see VT obviously or SVT. Um, or if you see like somebody who has a pacemaker, but you're seeing more frequent pauses, those are all things on EKG uh, that want to kind of uh, you know trigger your suspicions here. These are just some of the, uh, you know, the workup you could do for uh, cardiogenic causes of sympathy. Again, like Brian said, EKG, maybe echo is probably the most useful, um, but I just wanted to touch on these. Obviously, uh, exercise stress testing are, are use, is useful for people who have had like pre-syncable, syncable episodes with exertion. Uh, otherwise, uh, uh, relatively uh, useless on the, on the initial evaluation. Uh, echo, we've talked about. Uh, if we think of structural uh, something going on there, that that would be useful. Um, EP studies again, if we think it's arrhythmia inducing, uh, EP studies might be useful. Uh, but again, have to uh, have to kind of uh, discuss that with your consultants. And then uh, obviously any syncope that's associated with like bradycardia, SVT, VT, very related with RVR. You want to make sure that those patients are on goal-directed medical therapy moving forward to kind of control those. Uh, arrhythmias reduce the risk of further syncopal episodes. Uh, again, so we talked about all the main causes of syncope. These are just some of the lookalikes. We've touched on these. Uh, epilepsy, stroke, again, anything in the posterior circulation causing basal insufficiency can cause a loss of consciousness. Uh, something I didn't know was patients with migraines. Apparently, they're uh, more prone to heavy orthostatic syncopal episodes. Uh, so, uh, you know, somebody who's right on the cusp on their orthostatic vital signs, but if they have a history of migraines, certainly still consider uh, those on your differential. Uh, there's thought to be vasovagal the etiology, but the half of it is kind of uh, unclear about why they have that. Uh, we talked about narcolepsy, cataplexy. Uh, these are people who don't usually have any amnesia at the event, uh, often mistaken for a syncopal episode. Hopefully those people will have a well-established diagnosis of a sleep disorder uh, when, by the time they're coming into you. This is their first single episode. Uh, drop attacks. Um, I'll just touch on this really. It's, it typically happens in like middle-aged women. It's the half of this is like unknown. They don't know if it's just like uh, possible, like again, basilar insufficiency that's causing this or whether it's just like uh, unstable vestibular function or like uh, they say it's associated with orthopedic procedures, so like knee leg weakness. Uh, again, I guess this is just one of those catch-all things where uh, you're not sure what's going on. You just lump it into a drop in there. Uh, and for management of these like uh, neurological lookalike causes, uh, obviously you could get EEG not typically recommended unless you have a high suspicion of seizure. Uh, your CT MRI had again. Um, they're going to tell you essentially anybody, an elderly patient who comes in and you think they might hit their head or they're unsure, you get a CT head down to rule out any need, but otherwise, uh, typically if it's a you know, 30 year old guy who, uh, you know, lost consciousness on a hot summer day or something dehydrated, you probably need a CT head. Yeah, correct. correct. If, you're, if you're thinking like one of those primary autoimmune disorders, you're sure. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to touch on this because this gets confused a lot. We see. People come in and they can get a seizure and a syncope and, and vice versa. Uh, again, uh, syncope, you typically have that, that aura. Uh, epileptic seizures are variable. Uh, again, uh, duration, uh, think syncope is very short lived, right? Uh, not that seizures are, are, are that long, typically either one to two minutes, but uh, syncope episode, you want to think like seconds to, to a minute, right? Um, altered consciousness, obviously common. Uh, things to look out for with uh, seizures as well as like uh, signs of uh, a seizure, like so tongue biting. Uh, so always check if you suspected a seizure done in the ED, uh, always check someone's mouth to see for any trauma there. Uh, and you'll typically see, uh, you know, that postictal state after a seizure, you know, so that confusion, that tiredness, sleepiness, lethargy, those are all things that should uh, kind of lead you to believe uh, that this might be syncope or sorry, seizure. I and mean, that's when. Uh, you obviously would consider the EG at that time, getting our neurotransmitter involved. Uh, so then finally, this is kind of just, uh, uh, you know, kind of like a risk stratification. Uh, and I'll come to kind of talk on a couple of the scores. I think I haven't pulled up on the internet. The, the rest of the group's not going to be able to see, but I think it'll at least be helpful for you guys. Uh, so I think the main thing, right, is, is people who uh, essentially come in and you're suspecting cardiac, or you don't have a definitive cause of syncope, probably warrant admission uh, for 
for several days. That's essentially what all of this says right here, right? Uh, now, if you have a definitive, uh, definitive basal vagal, definitive hypovolemia, they respond to fluids, they're doing well, that might be you know, an observation in the ED for a couple hours and sent home versus a one night stay. Um, but I think the, the main scoring systems that you could use here that would help you risk stratify someone who comes in uh, I pulled out pull two two of these, and then I'll tell you the one that I use. So this is like the Canadian syncope risk uh, stratification. Okay, as you guys can see, you have all those categories, and you're assigned points either you know plus one to two points versus minus one to two uh, points. Obviously, uh, the minus uh, you know the minus categories there are all things that would decrease your likelihood of it being cardiac in uh, etiology, right? Uh, so essentially, I would say anybody who has a, a score uh, greater than zero, right? You would you would sit there and have a shared informed discussion with that patient about uh, you know whether they're going to be admitted to the hospital. And I would say anything that starts to climb into the medium high risk, you you tell that patient you're you're saying whether you like it or not. Okay, for for additional workup, uh, an additional like risk stratification. This one's good. Uh, it's long for me, for me personally. There's a lot of uh, a lot of things to remember here in a point system to try to do this in my head. Obviously, MD help, you can type all these in MD help, but it's helpful when you're when you're busy to be able to do something in your head. So this one is a another good one. This is the San Francisco um, uh, kind of uh, sinkable uh, risk stratification. And this is just like chest mnemonic, right? So this one's a little bit easier, only five things to remember. So CHF history, hematocrit less than 30, abnormal ECG. Uh, shortness of breath or systolic less than 90. Okay, and, and greater than or, or equal to one of these criteria would make that person moderate to high risk. So if someone comes in and like this guy, right, his EKG was a little abnormal, this guy would probably keep already. And then obviously he had the systolics that were less than 90. So he would actually meet two guaranteed criteria there. Uh, his somatocrit was 31, so he wouldn't meet there. Um, and then the other, the other one that I use is the, uh, OESIL score, that's just four criteria, right? So it's age greater than 65, history of heart disease, syncope without a prodrome, okay, and an abnormal EKG. Uh, essentially, uh, based on the point system you'll have, uh, if you get one point, it's like a 1% chance of, uh, you know, uh, cardiac risk, right? Anything greater than one, it jumps up to like 20% all the way up to around 60% for, for the four points. Um, this guy obviously would uh, only meet like the one point, right? So he'd have the abnormal EKG uh, based on the uh, OESIL. Uh, but then again, uh, what I think uh, is important to remind you here, which goes back to kind of this uh, this kind of algorithm is like shared decision-making, right? So if this guy, if something wasn't right here, right? He had this kind of funny EKG, his orthostatics weren't truly responding to fluids. So that's when your clinical acumen comes in and kind of you've seen this all the time. Uh, this would be a guy you would keep two uh, based on, you know, again, two of those risk certifications. Uh, the OESIL is like he's right on the cost right? But if, if someone's coming in and their EKG is what they're scoring for on a point, and I don't feel good, then I'd probably keep them as well. Um, so again, uh, single episodes from supines, okay, family history of uh, cardiac disease, cardiac, sudden cardiac death, uh, loss of consciousness without program, no reason with exertion. Those are the people you don't want to miss. Okay. Uh, everything else I think you take into context with their, with their history that they're giving you. I think that's about it. Here's my references that I use.